This Slate Spoiler Special is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code SPOILERS. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on Under the Skin, the new film from the British director Jonathan Glazer. And joining me here in the flesh in the Slate studio in New York is Dan Coy. Hey, Dan. Hello. Standing at the mic. That's right. I'm standing at the mic today. I'm experimenting with how it feels to stand while recording to see if I can exert incredible influence over Dana, who's sitting like some kind of schmo Actually, in a chair. I'm, I'm feeling like I'm cowering before you. I'm yeah. going to do it. I'm going to stand. I need to raise my mic as well, but I'm going to stand with you right now. All right. I'm the alien beast who towers over you. Now we can debate Lincoln-Douglas style, as it should be debated <laughs> under the skin, except that I think we probably agree in most ways on our bizarre, ambivalent and yet exultant relationship to this movie. Yes, like I want everyone to see this movie, but I don't want you to be angry at me when you do. And I'm not particularly sure I want to sit through it again. I thought about it for our conversation, seeing it again, and part of it was just hard to fit into the schedule, but this is sort of a hard movie to get yourself to see again. It's very intense and unsettling. Yes, so um, Under the Skin is uh, sort of a science fiction movie, maybe, or possibly it's a horror film. Um, The inexactness of those descriptors is a sort of a way into thinking about the movie because while it does feature some aspects of those genres it certainly does not exist comfortably in any of those genres but it stars scarlett johansson um as something that is driving through the streets of glasgow scotland in a white van and picking up men taking them back to a place a house that she somehow inhabits uh and then horrible things happen to them they uh, well, spoiler, of course, they um, have their innards sucked out by something and turn into bags of skin floating in a blue liquid. Right. The, the, she... Got it. Nailed it. <laughs> We're done here. We're done. <laughs> That's exactly what we couldn't talk about when we talked about this on the on the Culture Gap Fest. And it was why, even though it's a few weeks since it opened now, I really wanted to get somebody in to spoil it. Because it's a movie that you can't really kind of sink your claws and teeth and alien parts into until you get into the spoilers and, and what actually happens. So we couldn't even get past the point of what happens to these men that she finds on the streets of Glasgow after she lures them to the house. And I want to talk about just that, special effects-wise and, and sort of thematically uh, for a moment before we go on. Because when I think back on this movie and what haunts me about it, a lot of it is those early scenes of the luring of men into that house, which seems to be not just a house, but some sort of portal to another universe, planet. Or a lair, maybe. I thought perhaps it was a lair that some creature lives there and is doing things. Or a fa- it's almost a factory at one point. We see it become an assembly line for human guts and viscera, kind but of. But whatever it is, is not something that was constructed by earthly beings, right? It's clear that it's, it's it, different physical laws apply there than in other parts of the universe. Yes. Yeah. So what happens to these men is that um, Scarlett Johansson takes them back to this house, and she's been talking to them very comfortably, very unalien-like, and uh, and uh, and then they what her, what seems to them as though it might be a slightly weird romantic assignation with uh, with a beautiful woman who has something not quite right about her turns into something else as she disrobes and they disrobe and then she leads these naked men across a completely blank surface. It's pure, it's a pure black surface. It's very reflective. So you see the naked man and his naked reflection underneath him. And then as she walks forward, he trailing her begins to sink into 
this into the floor in some way as if it has become a liquid. But only for him. That's, but only that's, for that's him. That's a great part of the effect yes. is that she's essentially walking on water. And he is seems slightly discomfited, but not at all panicked as if he's in a kind of trance that is believable. I mean, that that the entire moment is so strange and Scarlett Johansson's physical effect is so strange that it is almost believable that these men would simply pursue mindlessly without an understanding that the, this liquid is rising over them. There's that one shot of the man's face just just barely appearing over the water as it sucks underneath and then then they're gone. And as the movie goes on, we get a little bit more with each man of what happens to them. First, we see one disappear a little bit. Then we see one disappear completely. Then the next man, we see him floating under underwater. Yeah, a point of view shot of uh, yes. what he sees. Yes, yeah, so we see him floating underwater. And then the next man, we see a POV of what he sees, which is that around him he sees there are other men also sort of almost wrapped in like a cocoon-like substance floating but still alive. Or, or to me it was more like almost like their skin had become this sort of loose, you know, bag around their body because of some solvent in the water or something right. like that was how I imagined but it. Then the, but then the moment of sort of ultimate revelation is that one of the men who is under under this liquid sees another one and he reaches out and is just able to touch him and then the man floats away and then is in like an instant completely sucked empty. And he's left, as I said, as like a floating bag of skin that is just floating. It's, Dana can see I'm making these very beautiful hand gestures <laughs> right now to represent the it's floating of the bag of skin. Of the yes. But so that is what happens to these men. But we don't know why or for what purpose or by whom or really even the mechanism. It's, you know, the director, Jonathan Glazer, um, and, his, and his star have said in interviews that they are aliens, but we don't actually really – I mean, no one ever says they are aliens. Right. I mean, and this is what, what we talked about in the, in the GapFest as well, is that there's no whiteboard moment, right? There's right. not any high-tech moment where some, some scientist explains what's happening or some alien kind of gives the mission of the aliens or anyone even actually states that there are aliens. We right. only assume that it's alien, it's alien activity because it's so unfamiliar to it's what we un, know. Because it's unearthly. And the – thing that Scarlett Johansson becomes at the end of the movie, that it's the amazing scene at the end of the movie in which her the, her skin is damaged and it be, begins to peel away and it is pure black underneath and she peels off her Scarlett Johansson face and body and and underneath she is a sort of pure black, jet black humanoid creature that is clearly not of this earth that tells us that there's something different going on, but I don't mean she could be a creature from the pits of hell or from another dimension or or from uh, or from mythology or I don't know what she is, but she is clearly not human. And the movie is the sort of the long, slow track of this inhuman thing, feeling uncertainty about the inhuman task to which she's been set and trying to figure out a way for her to become slightly more human than she was. Uh, and so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, Dana, is did the second half of the movie in which plot took over to an extent and we're meant to understand that she is striving for these things work as well for you as the first half of the movie and we, when we are simply being delivered slowly the pieces, just a few pieces of this puzzle? Yeah, no, I, to me there's a distinct falling off, it, 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 although there's a lot of beauty in the second half of the movie as well, and I actually really loved the ending, the very ending. Um, 
I think this, this, there's a strange disjuncture between the two halves, and I think there's something missing between them that is, in a way, actually some narrative meat. You know, I don't need a scientist in front of a whiteboard, but the the something about that setup at the beginning, the house with the glassy lake, you know, the, all of that, the reason I wanted to start off talking about it is I think it's so mysterious and original and not like anything I've seen in a science fiction or a horror movie in so long that it was hard for it not to drop off somewhat at the end when it was more the story of, I think, a more familiar story of should this alien try to adapt in some way to, to human culture and become a part of humanity, which is in a way the question of The Men Who Fell to Earth, the Nicholas Rogue movie with David Bowie, a very similar structure of this weird alien trying to negotiate the demands of the world. So that, there's some interesting stuff in that second half, but I didn't feel that it quite lived up to the promise of the first half, and I didn't think it answered enough questions. I don't think anything needs to be flatly laid out. I know in the novel this is based on, there's a very flat-sounding exposition about how the men are essentially soylent green, right? Aren't they being like funneled back as a food source to the planet or something like that? Yes, I believe that's correct. And I I love that this is much more mysterious and elusive and we don't know exactly. And it's sort of a metaphor about sexuality more than it is any explanation of alien economics. You know, I didn't need the alien economics, but I felt a disjuncture between those two halves, even in, in hearing about her character. Her character is set up as incredibly ruthless in the first half by human standards, right? Um, but then we kind of come to see her in the second half as almost more how an animal would have to operate in human culture, right? Her laws and her rules are so different that that they almost can't be construed as a, as a morality play. I don't know. I wanted to know what you thought about that, too, because there's another scene we haven't spoiled, the very, very harsh scene on the beach that happens pretty oh, early God. on. Oh, God, that fucking scene. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. So let's talk about that scene because um, that scene is one that, for example, made... I believe is the scene that caused the editor-in-chief of Slate, David Plotz, to walk out of the movie. And declare it the worst movie And declare the time. worst movie that has ever been made. Um, and it's a scene that it was almost impossible for me to watch. Like, obviously, it wasn't impossible because I did it, but I was so unhappy and miserable during it. Um, and it and it made me wonder if I would be able to take this movie. So it's the scene, if you've watched the movie, you know that it's a scene in which Scarlett Johansson, still hunting for men to take back to her man-slurrying lair, um, finds a guy guy surfing out in the water, Um, you know, in the rough seas outside, which I assume are outside Glasgow. I never even thought you would ever want to go in the ocean outside Glasgow, but it must be really cold because he's wearing a wetsuit. And um, she chats him up for a while and he talks to her, but then he notices that down the beach uh, there's a person in distress out in the water. Um, Swimming out after her dog, right? Right. Yes. Sorry. There's a dog in distress and then a person swimming out after the dog. Um, I mentioned the dog because of the way this this scene slowly ramps up your level of pity and horror for what's happening over there on the beach. Um, And the the surfer runs over to help and he swims out. Um, and, and the husband of the person who's gone out after the dog has swum out, leaving a baby on the beach. So there are three adults now in the water, one baby on the beach, um, just sitting there hanging out in baby clothes and Scarlett Johansson watching from a distance. And, um, the surfer drags the, one of the rescuers back, um, because that man has floundered out in the sea and he, the surfer knows it will be impossible for him to help the person who's lost. Um, the the person nonetheless heads back out to sea because his wife is out there in the ocean, possibly drowning. The surfer collapses to the ground, exhausted, and Scarlett Johansson clubs him on the head with a rock. And drags his body and away. And drags his body away. While the baby sits crying alone and abandoned on the beach. Right. And so the scene ends with the pounding surf, the adults certainly gone and drowned, and this baby alone on the beach. At the t- as the tide comes in. As the tide comes in, 
screaming in agony. And then later we cut to that night where an associate of Scarlett Johansson's, one of the motorcycle men, goes onto the beach, picks up the baby, right, and walks away. Am I, am I dreaming that? Did that happen? Yeah, that happened so early in the movie that I was still unclear as to who the motorcycle guys were. Not that that ever became any clearer, but I but don't they're really her remember. Bosses. One of them, yeah. they're, they're her supervisors, sort yeah. of, right? You come to think of them as, you know, like uh, the boss is coming, look busy, right? They're making sure that she gets her quota of man slurry right. made every day. Right. But it's, once again, I, w- I would have liked those guys to have a little bit more of a development or some sort of network that they seem to be coming from instead of just sort of being, you know, RoboCop from outer space. So I'm going to strongly disagree with you on that front. You like the RoboCops. No, it, I just liked th- – I didn't want there to be any more explanation. And it's not – and I'm not accusing you of wanting a whiteboard moment. I know that you didn't. But I feel like – there is no level of explanation that this movie could have offered that I would have found satisfactory, you know. And so in that circumstance, I'm inclined to think that no explanation is the way to go. A little bit of hints as to where these peop- these aliens were from and what they wanted would have just made me angry. A huge explanation would have just made me angry. And so in the end, I'd rather be confused and moved than slightly explained to and felt like, oh, well, I'm a real – you know, chump for thinking that there was anything deeper in this movie than this tiny bit of explanation they're giving me. But do you agree then, because you're the one who mentioned it first, that there's a, a bad join between the first and second, not quite half, but the first part and the second part where she's wandering around outside Glasgow in the woods? Yeah, I mean, I think of them as two different movies, basically, but I don't think I view the second half as less interesting or worse than the first half. I just basically view them as two almost completely disconnected movies. One about the slow unraveling of a process for the audience and the the second about a slow evolution of a character who's mostly opaque to us. But I still thought they were both really quite amazing in their own specific ways. Like it didn't lead me to think there was something I wish that Jonathan Glazer had done differently to join those two sections. It led me to think there was probably no other way to make those two sections more unified that would have satisfied me. Hmm. Hmm. But let's stop for a word from our sponsor. The Spoiler Special is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code SPOILER. Squarespace is always improving their platform with new features, new designs, and better support. They have beautiful designs to start with and every style option you need to create a unique website for yourself or your business. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you need some help, Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Their service starts at just $8 a month and includes a free domain name if you sign up for one year. Start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the offer code SPOILER to get 10% off your first purchase. The Spoiler Special thanks Squarespace for their support. All right, so back to Under the Skin. We left off with the uh, the join between what we're calling the first part and the second part. And, and I'm realizing now that that actually does happen. It's connected to a specific narrative event, which is her picking up of this one guy that she doesn't, in the end, kill. She doesn't lure into the, to the black pond. Which so is, it doesn't work out that well for him in the end anyway. But Right. Okay, we'll get to that. So, <laughs> so let's talk about this, another very haunting and, and memorable and hard-to-watch part of the movie. So she picks up a guy in the streets of Glasgow who at first is sort of hooded and you can't quite see his face. But when you do, you realize that he has this terrible facial disfigurement. He looks sort of like he has elephantiasis, like the elephant man. As it turns out, he has neurofibromatosis, as does the actor, Adam Pearson, in real life. 
and uh, and has this very malformed and disfigured face. They have a conversation in the car, and then help me remember, she does lure him back to the house. And how does it come to be that she sets him free and he goes running across the, the moors of Glasgow? We of- see them in the chamber where she usually lures the people, and he, in fact, does get naked, and he asks if he's... But there's that amazing scene in the van when you see him pitching himself. And then he asks if he is dreaming. Um, and then it basically – we see him sink down below the water in fact, right? And then we cut to her looking through a window in that – in like the downstairs of that house. The window that seems to be sort of a window into that underwater world. As if world. in an aquarium or right. something. Right. And then, and then it just cuts to her walking out the door of the house with him naked – and cold and confused and him, like, running away, right? So she pulled him out is yeah, the Yeah, I mean, that's, she pulled him out or she caused him to come out in some way. Um, and, then, and then he goes off on his own adventure and it's that connection between them or her feeling about him that leads her to essentially abandon her work creating manslurry and, um, and try to find a different way to be on this earth where she's found herself. Um, and... For me, that scene, I mean, so that scene brought up a lot of interesting issues. And one of them is, why is it this guy who caused her to to have this change? And maybe that doesn't even matter. But it also reminded me very much of the scene at the very beginning of the movie, which is somewhat lost, which in sort of all the weirdness of the movie, which is the first time we see her, she is hovering over the completely frozen body, frozen and naked body of a beautiful young woman um, whose clothes she has stolen. She, this woman is found in the grass by one of the motorcycle men and brought back to right. a place and Scarlett Johan- a naked Scarlett Johansson hovers over her and removes her clothes from her and we think at the beginning of the movie that she's a corpse but then we see a single tear fall from her eye and it seems apparent in some way that she is frozen and, and incapacitated and the difference in between Scarlett Johansson's treatment of that character at the very beginning of the movie who is clearly in emotional and possibly physical pain and is beautiful but is ransacked by Scarlett Johansson for the clothing she eventually wears. And then the scene in the middle where this disfigured, conventionally ugly person then is her sort of introduction to the notion of humanity within herself was an interesting one because uh, to a large extent, the movie itself is about the way that Scarlett Johansson's beauty affects people and affects an audience and affects her victims. Right. And, and, and in fact, affected real life men in Glasgow, because we forgot to mention this is a pretty key story about the making of Under the Skin, is that these guys she picks up in the street, at least some of them, and for at least some of the time that we see her with them, were actual passersby who did not know they were being filmed while talking to Scarlett Johansson. Right. This white van was kitted out with a number of very ingenious hidden cameras, and Scarlett Johansson would just drive around Glasgow with Jonathan Glazer in the back of the van, um, just picking up random dudes and talking to them. Which is, I mean, pretty astonishing for a number of reasons. One, that there is a, a, a legitimate big-ticket Hollywood star who would agree to do such a thing. Reportedly, her bodyguards were nearby. Um, two, that that f- most people reportedly did not recognize her. I mean, she does not look glamorous, but she still looks like Scarlett Johansson. I'd say she looks pretty glamorous. I mean, she's she's kitted out with a wig and stuff like that, but right. she's certainly not deglamorizing herself. No, and, but and, she's and she not... looks like a movie star, put yeah, it that way. yeah. Um, but also, the, also, I will, as a side note, I'd like to note that I literally could understand maybe 15% of the things that the Scotsman in this movie said. 
so that Scarlett Johansson was able to have long conversations with them in vans on the cu- like off the cuff is like amazing on a whole nother level. But then yes, yeah, so we a lot of these interactions we see are actual Glaswegians talking to Scarlett Johansson, except for the, all they know is that they're talking to a random beautiful woman in a van who was pulled over, invited them in, and just started talking to them and essentially flirting with them. I would love to see as a DVD extra at the moment that Jonathan Glazer kind of pops up Alan Funt style and informs <laughs> right. them what's going on and then says, hey, would you like to come into this green room where we simulate you walking into a pool of <laughs> right. endless glass? I mean, I assume that he just paid them a lot of money and it all worked out. Um, but yes, like the moment where they're like, oh, I knew something was weird about this. I thought you looked like Scarlett Johansson. So this means I'm not having sex with this chick, right? Right. right. What a bummer. Um, on the other hand, you're not having all your innards sucked out and turned into manslaughter <laughs> failure. So like, eh. Um, so yes, but one thing that I wanted to talk about, you know, that scene is the linchpin. And it, it does bring into sharp focus sort of the 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 standards of the different ideas of beauty and humanity that are at play in this movie. But did that lead you, Dana, to any sort of big thoughts about in the end what this movie actually is doing or if there is a – if it's not a science fiction thriller and if it's not really a horror movie meant to scare us, what is the purpose and nature of this movie? What is it intended to do or, or to say? I think that, yeah, that's a little bit of a mystery. And for me, the fact that it remains a mystery is not 100% positive. I, I feel like there's a little bit too much frustration in my answer to that question, which is that I'm not sure what it's trying to do. Um, I think that a lot of it, of the film's aim, does have, to the extent there's a thematic aim, has to do with the, the gender questions we were talking about earlier and also with kind of the presence of Scarlett Johansson as a movie star. So that's why I think we should close on talking about her, mm-hmm. not just her performance here, but just Scarlett Johansson-ness and kind of how how that, how that what she represents is used in the movie and the very end, what happens to her unnamed alien character at the very end. So she, for a lot of her career, has, has served in movies as a sort of unattainable beauty object or... Conversely, as the surprisingly down-to-earth version of that unattainable beauty object, right? Like in in Don John, what was specifically funny about that performance was how at odds – Sort of the regular galness of it was with with the very Scarlett Johansson physical presence of her, Um, and 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 this performance struck me as particularly notable and interesting as compared to that one, and then as compared to her other big performance from last year as the voice in her, in which her actual body was absent from that movie, but her voice is itself is so. Scarlett Johansson-y that for many reviewers and many critics and many viewers, I think, it was sti- they were still completely unable to divorce that voice from the physical presence and reality of Scarlett Johansson herself. Um, and so in this movie, we have this physical thing, the, the body and presence of Scarlett Johansson with its otherworldliness and alienness turned up to 11, right? She, there are scenes in which she is, it becomes clearly apparent that she is doesn't even understand how humans ought to be or how they ought to interact with each other. In others, she responds very naturally, but there's always a sense of a certain kind of calculation behind it, um, which to me seemed very analogous to to the art of acting itself, right? When you are this person who is clearly singular in your existence trying to inhabit other people, there's always a certain amount of calculation with that that I've often felt in Scarlett Johansson's performances. How, if you are Scarlett Johansson, do you pretend to be a regular, broad, 
from New Jersey. And how do you divorce your performance or or find some space between your performance and, you know, the beautiful shell of your body that is what everyone thinks of you as? Which, of course, this movie literalizes as an actual shell that can, right. can, can be peeled away in strips to reveal this, this kind of faceless uh, ebony black being underneath. Right. I mean, it's really easy to see. What, I mean, in many ways, it's remarkable that Scarlett Johansson made this movie, but it's also easy to see why it appealed to her because that scene at the end does seem like the archetypal like moment of truth for every movie star who's ever sort of faced themselves in the mirror and said, holy shit, what have I become? Let's like, describe that. Let's describe that very that ending scene. I mean, all we need to know about the second half really is that she escapes Glasgow and starts wandering around the countryside mm-hmm. outside of, of Scotland. She meets a guy. He seems very nice. They take some walks. They he try, puts her up for a night. He puts her up for a night. He cooks for her. Um, she tries to have sex with him, but I think that maybe she doesn't have a vagina. I couldn't tell in that scene. I mean, after knowing what happens to her at the end, right, that her body is essentially revealed as this shell that can be right. ripped off, which makes you wonder why why was it not easier for that to happen before, right? right. But, but I assumed that, you know, she has some sort of shell-like, you know, genitalia, but that it might have been, like, penetrated by the guy. Like, she's basically seeing, like, has my outer ch- ch- chassis been, been right. damaged? It was unclear to me. But, yeah, something does not go right during that sex scene. Um, and, and you never see the guy again. You don't even see the moment she leaves, right? right? Next time you see her, she's running through the forest. In a scene that really reminded me of the Darden brothers' Lorna's Silence. I don't oh, know if you yes. saw that movie, yeah, but the yeah. ending is, has that same fairy tale quality of a woman running alone through this forbidding forest. Right. And so the, at this moment, this is the only moment in the movie, and it's a really interesting turnaround because so many times in the movie, we have watched her watching men go by, and we've known that those men are in mortal danger, right? And so there's it's this. It's been an inversion for much of the movie of sort of the classic movie trope of a man watching women go by and he's going to pick one of them out and have his way with them and maybe kill them. But not, but for much of the movie, that was inverted. It was, it was ScarJo looking at these men knowing, and us knowing that one of them was doomed. But now she is in the position of sort of the traditional movie victim running through the woods with a predator after her, in this case a construction worker who um, attacks her and, and wants to rape her. Um, and... And then when he finally catches her and they struggle in the woods, he begins to have sex with her, but then realizes she pushes him away. And then he sees that her back strips of ScarJo skin have come off her back and revealed underneath is not blood or flesh or viscera, but just a, a jet black something. Right. And he runs it's away. It's a real turnoff. Yes, it is a real turnoff. <laughs> he, he runs away briefly and, um, well, a real turnoff, but also, uh, for someone who inclined upon a crime of power like rape, it, the idea that the thing you were about to have your way with is potentially unearthly and could bring the wrath of heaven down upon you is, like, pretty intense. Right. I mean, that's why that last scene also works as this very searing kind of expose of sexual violence, right? right? So then she begins working at the her carapace and begins peeling it off, and she— and. Right? Am I remembering yeah, that right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. And she pulls off her own face. And one of the last things she does is that the alien inside her turns around the face of her skin that it has been under and stares at it. And the effect is quite amazing. And it is Scarlett Johansson's blinking, breathing face looking at the alien that she has been hiding this whole time underneath her. And they stare at each other eye to eye. 
And then the guy pours gasoline on her and sets her on fire and then she burns to a crisp. And the motorcycle men drive off and I guess find some other beautiful woman to send off to the streets of Glasgow. But yes, that moment of Scarlett Johansson's face staring at the alien's face is uh, is like, a, I think, a great indelible movie moment but also an incredible commentary on the act of being a picture on a screen whom everyone looks at all the time. Uh, and I found it actually really surprisingly moving for a movie that otherwise made no attempt at all to connect emotionally with me and, in fact, right. and aggressively it's not uninterested her. Yes, in it. and is yeah. not interested in introspection or in her inner states at all, although increasingly so in the second half of the movie. But still, the focus remains sort of this chilly external view of oh, what's yeah. happening. She's totally opaque, even if we're meant to be interested in the changes that she's undergoing. We're not meant to understand them. But that one moment, I think, is one that I'll remember forever and ever and ever. And it made me really glad that I saw this movie, even though it was unbelievably difficult at times to watch. Um, And that's why, I mean, in the end, I told everyone I know that they should see this movie. But I also told them that a lot of them would potentially hate it and hate me. And certainly Plotz hates it and hates me because he saw it. Um, and, And I think that that will be true for a lot of people, too. But for people who do end up sticking through it all the way... I think that there are so many things about it that are unlike anything you're likely to see um, and that are so amazingly well done that I really think it's quite an incredible object, this movie. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, for all of my, you know, sort of questions about not quite getting thematically what Glazer was going for, I'm glad that he went out on a limb and did the brave things that he did in this movie. It's also a completely unexpected movie from him. You know, it's sort of proof that he doesn't have a kind of movie that he makes, which makes it exciting to imagine what he might do next. Right. After Sexy Beast, Birth with Nicole Kidman, and then this, three completely different movies. Right. I I have no idea what he's going to do next. I do hope it does not take him eight years to do it, though, as it took eight years to make this one. All right. That was a good conversation. I finally did it. I got to spoil under the skin. It's because you were standing. That's why it went so well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah The chi was flowing through me in a whole new way. All right. Thanks a lot for it. It was fun to see you in person. Yes. And uh, let's spoil another one soon. Absolutely. Thanks for doing this Lincoln-Douglas agreement about under the skin with me. I pound the podium. See it, I say. <laughs> All right. Our producer is Chris Wade. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.